we'll continue to do uh, more of those as the weeks go by. If you've got a Bible there with you, we have been looking at the last few weeks. We took a break last week and we looked at uh, mothers and we, we had a fantastic uh, morning last week for those of you that weren't there, weren't here. Anyone turn up in this room last week? No? Good, because we weren't here. I was going to go, you're lying, we weren't here. We were next door last week. I was going to catch you out then. We were next door last week because they, they voluntarily moved us. And um, So we had a great service, but before that we started to talk about giving, and we've been talking about generosity and giving. A couple of weeks ago we went back to Genesis uh, chapter 14. We looked at the first time that giving was mentioned in the uh, tithes and offering and so on mentioned, and, and it was at the hands of Abraham going to Melchizedek. I don't want to go over that again, but the most important thing out of that is that uh, the first tithe was given outside the context of law. So when we hear people say today that tithing is now no longer relevant and offering is no longer relevant because it was all part of the law, it's not very well understood perspective of the Word of God because tithing was introduced into the Word of God outside three to six hundred years before the law was ever given. So we went back and we had a look at that first expression of Abraham giving. And there are three things, three principles there. Abraham gave voluntarily, he gave systematically, and he gave gratefully. And so what I want to do today is we want to fast forward uh, 1,500 to 2,000 years, and we want to get into the New Testament. We want to have a look at the New Testament and go, rightio, if these principles uh, are true, then surely they will carry on right throughout time. Uh, there's a, a principle in Bible study, a theological study, called the principle of first mention. That is where you go back to the first time something's mentioned in the Word of God, and you have a look at it. And that will usually give you a foundation of knowledge upon which you can build as you continue to study that topic. So if we're studying tithing, we go right back to the very first time it's mentioned and we draw principles out of that. And then as we go on from there and we look at tithing throughout the time, we should be able to see that these principles continue to be the foundation upon which we build all our other understanding and teaching about that particular topic. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to race forward. We're going to have a look at these three things. Abraham gave voluntarily. He gave systematically. And he gave gratefully. And we're going to go forward and we're going to have a look. We're going to see if those principles still align themselves with the New Testament perspective of giving and so on. Again, just a disclaimer. I do not get a pay increase out of this. I do not take a tithe of your tithes and your offerings. I have people above me that have set my salary and so on. So I just want to keep throwing that out there because I know there are all kinds of weird concepts and thoughts about money and pastors. We talk about it because we're trying to get more out. It does not benefit me at all. I'm not getting more of anything out of you. Just my little disclaimer there at the start before we launch into this again uh, this week. Uh, the first thing I want to look at is that we give voluntarily. Abram gave voluntarily. There was no pressure. There was no coercion. Uh, there was no guilt. When Abram gave his tithe the first time around, we were not under law. When the law came in, all of a sudden Israel had to do certain things. Before the law, he didn't have to do that. Abram gave his tithe voluntarily. Uh, when it's first mentioned in the Bible, it was a choice that he made. <laughs> I woke up this morning and I had a passage in my head. And I turned to it, and it's a well-known passage. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1. If you've got your Bible there. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. God's taking a bit of a chance uh, here because the, the thing about living sacrifices is they can jump up off the altar at any minute and take off, can't they? It's much easier to lay a dead sacrifice on an altar and do what you need to. When you put a living sacrifice on an altar, a living sacrifice has the opportunity to jump up off that altar any time it wants and to make a dash and to run and get out of the way. We're not dead 
sacrifices. God doesn't tell us that we're completely dead and we don't have a say in life and we don't have a say in following him and we don't have a say in where we're going. We have 100% control over our lives. How many of you have ever heard the terminology or that word picture when you gave your heart to Christ? I know I used to hear it a lot at youth gatherings when I'd go along. And people would say, you know, let Jesus come in, take the driver's seat of the car. Anyone ever heard that terminology? That Jesus will come into the car of your life and give him the steering wheel and you become the passenger, he will take you. It's, I hear what they're trying to say, but it's very poor terminology because Jesus at no point takes the steering wheel of your car. He, takes, he doesn't take the steering wheel of your car. That would be taking control of you. That would be taking possession and possessing you. And generally in the Bible, when people were possessed, what with that? He didn't say, that's fantastic, that's exactly what we want, you're out of control, don't know what you're doing, something's gone. You know, and, and people, we can be like that sometimes. Christians can be like that. We can do the weirdest, oddest, strangest things, and we blame God. Oh, the Spirit just made me do it. Oh, the Spirit made me just you know, jump up on the table and, and, and crow like a chicken. It was the Spirit of God, and uh, you know, the Spirit of God made me gossip about you. you know, I didn't want to speak ill of Daniel, but the Spirit of God came upon me, and I just had to tell everybody, this guy's a jerk. Oh, blame the Lord, I'm just submitting to God. And we can do a lot of stupid and strange and wonderful things and blame God for it. At the end of the day, we are living sacrifices. Jesus doesn't jump in the seat. What Jesus does, he jumps in the passenger seat and says to you, now turn left. But you've got the choice to turn left. You'll turn left voluntarily of your own accord or you won't. Jesus doesn't take the wheel. And that's what it means to be a living sacrifice. I love the way Paul words this. He says, I beseech you by the mercies of God, you present your body. You do it. You have control, you have authority, and you have opportunity. You do it. I can't offer Rob as a living sacrifice. If I tried to, he'd probably kick me with his cowboy boots and run over me with a tractor. He's not going to let me offer him. I can't offer Rob as a living sacrifice. I can't offer Jordan as a living sacrifice, although there are moments where I've really wanted to. (laughs) But I can't offer him as a living sacrifice. He has to present himself to God. He has to offer himself to God as a living sacrifice. I love the way the New Living Translation puts this verse. It says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This is truly the way to worship him. In other words, when we voluntarily take of ourselves and submit them to God, When Jesus sits in the passenger seat and says, I don't want you to go that way, I want you to go here, and we say, okay, and we turn right because he's saying go right, that is an act of worship to God. Worship is a voluntary thing. How many of you know this morning when I picked up that guitar, I didn't look at you and say, okay, you have to worship right now. You have to. You have to do it. You know, don't don't you realize what Jesus said? You have to. I didn't pull a gun out. I didn't put tasers on the seats so that if you weren't standing up, I'd up you jump. I didn't have people running around with cattle prods making you raise your hand. You will worship God freely as you want to because you have control over your body. You'll make that choice to offer yourself to God a living sacrifice. And that's what this verse is saying. When we offer ourselves voluntarily to God as a living sacrifice, it's an act of worship. Now that goes right across all areas of life. 
Let me say to you, those of you that do morning tea, and by the way, great, I, I love the morning teas here. I'm probably the one Daniel was talking about when he said, you think morning tea is the best part of church? I, some days I get up in the morning real early and I haven't had breakfast. Well, I did this morning. My wife made me some beautiful fruit toast and brought it out the garage to me when I was getting ready for this morning. But, but I can get there and, and, and you know, can get through everything. You dive up there the back of the morning tea. Those of you that make morning tea, let me say this to you. If you make that morning tea as an act, as a free will choice, because you want to do morning tea, that is an act of worship to God. If you're doing morning tea because you feel like I am coercing you, pushing you, or making you do it, then you are not a living sacrifice. In one sense, I've kind of killed you and slapped you on there and I'm making you do something you don't want to do. If you're doing it out of coercion, manipulation, or any other means other than you freely want to do it, it's not worship to God. But anyone doing morning tea, I hope you're doing it because you want to do it. Because when you bring that in here, you're serving God's people. You're serving God's people. And in doing so, it's an act of worship to God because you're doing it freely and generously of your own accord. Those of you that come in and do setup, same thing applies. If you're doing setup because you feel manipulated, if you're doing setup because you feel coerced, then I want to say to you, please stop coming and doing it. I don't want anybody doing anything in the life of the church because you feel coerced, manipulated, or pushed into doing it. If you're doing it, you're just doing something. It's not an act of worship to God. You're not a living sacrifice, you're a controlled sacrifice. Like I've got a noose around your head and I drag you around. When we do things freely, it's a living sacrifice to God. And that is the New Testament model for all that we do for the Lord. What we do for God, we choose to do freely because we want to, as an expression of love for God's people and an expression of love for God as an expression of gratefulness and gratitude, but we do it voluntarily. And that's the picture that we find in the New Testament is that whatever people did, do it voluntarily. Do it because you want to. Don't do it to create an image for yourself. Don't do it to, 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 because you, you feel like you, you, you have to or you'll get brownie points. It, it's nothing about that. It's about getting that revelation that, you know what, I'm a living sacrifice. I'm free to choose to do this or to choose not to do this. Now, the same principle folds over when it comes to our giving, when it comes to our offering, when it comes to our tithing. You don't have to do any of that. You don't have to give anything. But God wants you to want to contribute financially to the kingdom of God, to the local church, and so on. God wants you to do that stuff because you want to. And there are many and varied ways by which we try to get people to give things. I've got this fantastic letter this week. It was awesome. By the way, good news for the rest of the church. I want you guys to know this. We are in the money. We've made it. Okay? This was an email sent to me this week from... Um, her name was um, Mrs. Janeth Clody from Africa. Okay? Stay with me. I know that this mail will come to you as a surprise. You reckon? I am the widow to the late Mr. Raymond Clody, former owner of the Petroleum and Gas Company and a congressman in Cote d'Ivoire. Now, I did jump on Google quickly and Google Cote d'Ivoire. The first thing I saw was civil war and guys with guns and all kinds of stuff. So I thought, okay, something's going on here. She goes on and says how she's suffering with the sickness and has been for a long time. Doctors have said she's only got three months to live. Please pray for her. Three months to live. She even goes on to say, I'm sorry if you're embarrassed by my email, but I found your profile here in my husband's business directory. How some guy in Africa that owns a petroleum and gas company got my details in his directory, I don't know, but praise God, a miracle's happening. She said, I hope that you're not offended by this and so on. Before my late husband died, he was a major oil tycoon in Cote d'Ivoire. 
Yes. And guess what? I need you to collect these funds. He's a billionaire. Bottom line is they want to give me all of his inheritance because as she puts it here, she says, I want to know that when I die, my soul can rest in peace because I've given this money to the right thing. And she wants me to take these millions of dollars and give it to charity, but the kicker is I keep 20% for myself. So I get to keep 20% of this to myself and I get to put the rest into charity. Now that's one way of trying to get money out of people because I, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. All right? I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, but I've got a funny feeling that this ain't real. I've got a funny feeling what she's trying to do is not give me money, but maybe she's trying to get me to give to her. Because the next email will be, give me your bank details and I'll just deposit the money in. Whoops, sorry, took your money out and take off. So that's one way of trying to get money out of people. I guess you can go around the back door and, and make them think that they're you know, receiving and steal it from them. There are other ways that you can get money. You can manipulate people. I found this fantastic video that I wanted to show you today. Um, now, I can't show it to you this morning because of that lady there. I'm pointing any fingers, but because of that lady there. Now, I found this video, and it's from a, a church called Watermark Church in the States. And here's how they get money out of people. They've employed a guy called Barry Bates. He's the linebacker offering taker. And so what happens in this video is a guy walks into church one morning and uh, I was going to show you the video, but what happened was I watched it by myself and I killed myself laughing. I thought, this is gold. This is gold. Then I thought last minute on, on, um, on a Thursday night before Chloe went to bed, I thought, this is so funny. I can't wait to see how my wife and my daughter how crack up and laugh at this thing. So I got them on the lounge before Chloe went to bed. Come and have a look at this. And I pressed play and I've gone, ah. And they're just sitting there going, for three minutes, not a peep for three minutes. By the end of the three minutes, I took that as the word of the Lord. Don't show the video. It's not that funny, Alan. So you're not going to get to see the video. But what Barry Bates does is they go into church and, and instead of putting any money in the offering box, they had a box like that, the guy just walks past it and sort of laughs and this linebacker comes flying out of the side of the screen, bang, crash, tackles him on the ground, leans over the top of him, don't you come into the Lord's house and bring the Lord's offering and he gives it to this guy and the guy gets up and puts the money in. Then another guy sitting there goes up to the reception office and he says, now, who should I make the checkout to? And the lady says, Watermark Church. So he makes the checkout to Watermark Church and tears it off as he's about to hand it to her. Barry Bates comes flying out of the side, hits him, rolls him on the floor. $10? The law said, give 10%, not $10. And he starts throwing the check back at him and gets more money out of the guy. There's another couple of scenes where a guy walks up to the offering plate and he... He puts a, a, a little bit of money in the, in the box and then you hear from the side this noise like a train. And Barry Bates is going, the pain train's coming, the pain train's coming. And the guy's, no Barry, no Barry. And he pulls out his credit cards and checks them in the thing. So there's different ways you can manipulate people externally to make them give to you if that's something that you want to do. There are all kinds of different ways. I also got another email this week too and the subject line of that email, the subject line of that email said this, it said, Alan, you can end their suffering. Now, if you're like me, anything to do with kids, I can't stand seeing kids not have opportunity. I can't stand seeing kids miss out on things. I'm probably extreme to the point where it's unhealthy, but I just can't stand kids missing out on opportunity in life. And I saw this email, and the big subject line is, Alan, you can end their suffering. And I thought, thank you. <laughs> probably can, but I don't know that I like the emotional, almost manipulation it felt a little bit like. The person sending me the email, you don't even know me. 
you know, but you can end their suffering. Well, of course we want to. Of course we all would love to give to things. We'd love to give to everything. We can't always do it. So there are different ways to try to get people to give, but the biblical way in the New Testament model is that people give freely. It's that people give because they want to. It's because people give because they choose to. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 3 and 5 says this. (laughs) And this is Paul talking to a previously Gentile audience. Now, in the New Testament age, we've got these two things going on. You've got the Jewish people that come to faith. The Jewish people were brought up with a culture where they attended the synagogue regularly, where they, they knew about tithing and offerings and sacrifice. They knew about all the Jewish culture. Then you have a Gentile audience as well that are being melded in together throughout the New Testament. So when you read certain things, you, you go back and you think about the background of some of these people. And, and the Gentiles didn't necessarily have a Jewish background. So it was a, a bit different the way that Paul would approach the Gentile people as opposed to what he could say to the Jews. Because he could say certain things to the Jews and they would understand straight away what he meant because of their culture and their background. He could say certain things to Gentiles and they didn't quite understand. And so there's a different tactic that was used there. So Paul's writing here to a Gentile audience. What was happening was there was going to be a famine in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem Christians were suffering. They had lack. They had no food and so on. And so Paul, being a very smart, missions-minded person, thought if the Gentiles were to give financially to help the starving Jewish brothers, because a lot of the Jews were still uncertain about Gentile converts. We're just not sure if they're quiet in the family of God yet because they're, they're still Gentiles and they still hadn't gotten over all the barriers of circumcision and all this kind of stuff, you see. So Paul says to these Gentile churches as he travels around, he starts to take up an offering. And most of what you read about in the letters in the New Testament are in relation to this particular offering that's being raised by, uh, amongst Gentile congregations to give, to be taken to Jerusalem and handed to the Jewish Christians who would then go, wow, these guys really do love us. They really are part of us. They really do care for us. They really are our brothers, you see. So this is the context from which Paul's writing. And he says this, 2 Corinthians 8, 3 to 5. He says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, he's speaking to the Corinthians about another group of churches. He says, I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Freely willing. That literally means in the Greek, voluntarily of one's own accord. That's literally what it means. They voluntarily of one's own accord decided that they wanted to give to this particular offering. And then I love how it goes on. It says, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Imagine that. Imagine that. Not only did they give what they could, but these guys went above and beyond. Why? Well, because they really believed in the cause that they were giving to. They didn't want to see their brothers and their sisters in Jerusalem starving to death. He said, we gave what we could. And he says, they went even beyond that. They implored us with much urgency. In other words, there was a point where Paul's going, look, you know what, you've given enough, that's enough. But he said, no, they begged us and said, no, it's not enough. We want to give more because we really believe in this cause. We really believe that we want to help and be a part of the answer to this problem. He's imploring them, begging them. It reminded me of the Old Testament when Solomon was building the temple of God. And uh, you go back there and you read the story and, and he, he declared to the nation, you know, bring this material and that material and these jewels and so on. And they did. And it got to the point where there was so much that Solomon actually said to those in charge, he said, you need to say to the people, stop, that's too much, that's enough. And here we are again in the New Testament with these people going, you know, there was enough there, but they were begging us 
literally means that begging us. No, no, we want to be more involved in this. We want to give more. We want to give more. And they freely were willing. They wanted to give because they wanted to give. Not because they had to, not because they were manipulated, but because they wanted to. And why did they want to do it? It says, they implored us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. What that literally means is that they saw their giving as an act of ministry. They saw their giving as ministry. It's not just something that we do. How many of you have ever heard the, the term, you might have heard it in different churches, don't throw it, sow it. Anyone ever heard that terminology? When people used to take the offering buckets around, a church we used to go to years ago, and the pastor used to go, don't throw it, sow it. In other words, don't just throw your money, don't just, you're not just putting in the offering. When you put it in there, what are you doing? Are you just throwing money away? Are you just chucking it in there? Or are you sowing that into something, knowing that this is an act of ministry? That as we do this, we're ministering. We're involved in ministry. Are you ministering or are you just trying to... When you do your direct debit, some of you do it online, when you push that button, you just push it as a part of a, a protocol that you do. Do you just push that button and send it across to the church because it's just what you do? It's part of the, the traditional, the cultural, the custom. Or when you press that button, do you do it with a sense of, I'm, doing, I'm ministering right now. I'm ministering right now to God. I'm ministering right now through this act of giving to God's people. Has anyone ever seen that super cheap auto ad? I love it. You know the, the Father's Day one where they're sitting around the fireplace, a little girl comes up and she gives him and he opens up the card and he sees a super cheap auto gift card and he looks at it and he goes, what's this? And the little girl goes, Daddy, it's a, su- it's a gift card, super cheap gift card. And he looks at her and he goes, no, it's not. He goes, this could be spark plugs. This could be a new radiator. This could be a new bulba paint. And then he stands up and he looks into the sky and he goes, this could be anything. Who are you when you give your offering to God? Are you the little girl who goes, it's just a super cheap gift card? Looking just at, I'm throwing money, I'm just, just my offering. It's just my tithe. Or are you like that man who sees beyond that? And goes, no, no, this could, be, this could be food for a hungry child in Africa. This could be the, the, the morning tea. This could be the donut somebody picks up as they turn to have conversation with someone who tells them about the love of God for the first time. This could be a homeless person getting a shelter. This could be somebody in India getting educated. This could be the, the, the pencil that they're going to write their very first note with. Do we see it like that when we give? See, this is what motivated these guys. They didn't just see Paul going around going, I'm just going to take up an offering. He says, the reason they were so urgent about it and the reason they begged me to take it because they saw their giving as an act of ministry, as important as a preacher standing up delivering a message, as important as a worship leader leading us in song, as important as a prophet standing in front of the nations and prophesying something, as important as the morning season. It was all part of ministry. When you give, do you just throw or do you sow? Do you see what you're doing as an act of ministry, do you ever think about the potential of what happens with that? You know, as a church, we give a certain amount of our tithes to the broader picture of INC. We feed back up the chain, so to speak, the food chain or whatever you want to call it. We feed up. So so some money that we have, did you know that some of the money that you give, it goes to church planting? Where church is planted? I don't know but I know it goes towards some church planting funds. 
and some of it gets taken out. So, so there, there are churches being planted right now that you don't even know about and I don't even know about, but they're happening because you, you ministered. They're happening because you ministered. Because out of a free and obedient heart, willingly you gave to God and God took that and did something with it. When I used to do tithe talks, at, at, uh, rather, the, the church I used to go to do a tithe talk every week. Now, we don't do that here. I don't want to do that. We, I, I, we do communion every week. It's, it's what we do. We want to stay focused on the cross, focused on what Jesus has done. So we do communion. We wave communion in front of us every week to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus without which we are fools and wasting our time. But in my previous church, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but they do a tithe talk every week. And, and my talk would always be fairly similar. It would be that, you know, that, that our tithes and our offerings, they're, they're little pieces of me that get to go to places that I don't get to go to. Okay? Because I am one person confined by time, space, occupation. Uh, there's so many things. I'm called to be where I am doing what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm not going to probably get to Africa this year to plant a church. Or am I? Am I the little girl with a gift card? Or am I holding that gift card going, this could be a church plant in Africa. This could be, this could be, this could be. When you give, how do you see it? See, when you start to think about your giving like that, I think it creates an environment where I want to contribute. I want to give. Not because I have to, but because I'm seeing with the eyes of faith the ministry I'm involved in and I'm seeing what can happen. You know, I don't know if you've thought about it. and Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Maybe you just come each week and you're sitting here and maybe you're just sitting here maybe possibly counting down the weeks going, well, I can't wait till we get into our own building and we don't have to set up chairs and all this sort of stuff. And that's going to be fantastic when we don't have to do all that. But, you know, as a side note, there'll be other things that we'll still need to do. We'll still, all of a sudden, we'll have to clean it. We don't clean this. We just pack up and go, walk away. We don't clean, but someone's going to have to do some cleaning. We don't worry about the gardens here, but we're already responsible for the gardens over at the new place. It's not massive, but it's still something that needs to be done. There'll be things to be done. But are we just thinking, you know, we'll just get out of here and we'll get into a building? Or is anybody thinking, I wonder what God is going to do when we get in there? I just wonder. I wonder why we are being moved to such a visual place. We're on the top of a hill, right there, facing the highway. I wonder why God will put us right there on Oliver Avenue, knowing that where that dead end is, 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 is already zoned by council to go right down and to join up to the Pineapple Road roundabout. You'll be able to come from Ballina, hit the Pineapple Road roundabout, turn left, and you'll go straight to our church. It will become the road that everybody uses to bypass the busyness of all the roundabouts and everything past the media centre. They're all going to go that way, around the back. Why are we right there? Why are we smack bang in the middle of a place where council has already zoned, I think it was about 700 homes are going in right around that area, already approved by council, just waiting for people to get their money together and to build 700 homes. Why are we there? Why are we in a place where council, not only is 700 homes here, but council are advertising certain blocks over there where they're giving um, um, uh, home loan thing, you know, uh, what do they call it, grants? to people to get into some of those places. The government are going, we'll give you ten or $20,000 grants or whatever for new home buyers to get in there. Why, why, why are we there, God? Does anyone think like that? I, I can't help but think like that. I'm excited that we're getting into a place, but I'm way more excited about the potential of, God, who are we going to be able to touch? God, who are we able, going to be able to get this good news of Jesus Christ and the transforming life that, that, that we've experienced how, God, what are you going to do? Like, like I look at the building, like the gift card. It's not just a building. I'm going, this could be anything. This could be anything. This could be an international mission center. 
This could be a place where children come in and for the first time in their life hear about a guy called Father Abraham or hear about a dude called Noah who built a real big ship and some people jumped on it and when everybody else was taken out, God looked after those people. It could be the first time they ever hear about a man called Jesus Christ who came to earth and gave up the glory of heaven and gave up the comfort and everything he had and came down here to us because he knew we were never going to be good enough to reach up to God. So he said, I'll go down there to them and I'll walk amongst them and I'll be rejected by them and they're going to hate me and they're going to kill me. But I'm going to do all of this because if I don't, I'll never, ever be able to have the kind of love relationship with them that I really desire in my heart. Maybe that place is going to see people come in whose marriages are two days away from dissolving and something will happen. Maybe they'll sit down next to one of you. And maybe you'll get involved in their world and they'll ask you questions and before you know it, you might end up married. Who knows? Like my brain goes like this. And what excites me is that the Bible says that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or think. I can think some wild things. My brain goes... I don't sleep a lot. It's, it's, I struggle to stop my brain when I start thinking about these things. You see? That's what I see. And because I see that... I don't throw it, I sell it. When I give, I give voluntarily. I give because I want to. Because I'm really excited about the things that I give to. I'm excited about the potential of what God is able to do and what God is going to do. You know, when I was 19 years of age and I got saved in my little... little, I went to a little uniting church in Ballina. (coughs) That church supported me as I went off and went into missions. And they used to support me $86.27 a month. Still remember it, $86.27 a month they would support me. And I gave up everything, not that I had a lot to give up, I had nothing going up anyway, but I gave it all up and I went and joined this mission organisation. I, I did all kinds of things for years and years and fixing screen doors. I used to fix people's screen doors for them. You know, I used to, if, if, when a school came and they wanted a shelf, I'd be in, I'd, I was the maintenance man, I'd do the shelves. We had a big property, I'd jump in the track and I'd mow the lawns. When everybody was having their dinner, uh, I would go out and uh, uh, during dinner time, my job was to drive into Springwood to a bakery and I'd pick up all the pies and everything. So I never sat down at dinner with everybody. Like, you know, I didn't care, I loved it. Because I, I, I knew that this is what God wanted me to do. And it was, I knew that everything I was doing was a blessing to other people and, and, a, and a blessing to God. It was ministry. But then from there, somebody gave me an opportunity one day to stand in front of a group of people and to talk. And I did. And guess what? I remember one day talking and then saying at the end, you know, if anybody wants to know about this Jesus character, who, by the way, I'm still trying to get to know, I'd love to pray with you. And somebody put their hand up. And then I went and sat down and talked to them and led them in a prayer to God. I thought, wow, that's cool. It's <laughs> actually really cool. There are other people out there like me that are interested in God, that God can break through and do... And then from there, I, things progressed on and then I started to stand in front of bigger and bigger crowds and I started speaking in churches. And then I've got training skills all around the country flying me. I'm getting flown to different places to go and teach on international schools and I'm flying over to New Zealand and I'm, and I'm talking and one day I'm, I'm preaching to a bunch of people uh, for a week in a training school with a bunch of people that had just come back on furlough from Afghanistan working amongst the Taliban and I'm thinking, God, why would you let me be talking to these people who are working amongst the Taliban 